Today, again, I want to talk to you about the resume of a disciple. Last week, my incredible father-in-law, my mentor in preaching and in the Word of God, gave us 20, (laughs) do you remember that? 20 beliefs that we need to have in order to live in these times. And that was good. And i got to be honest with you. I told him, because I knew what he was preaching, I told him, I said, Dad, this may be a two-part sermon. I mean, 20 beliefs, that's really ambitious. And then I remembered that when I turned 50 last year, that I had 50 things I've learned from zero to 50, right? Do you remember that? And I did it, I think, in 30 minutes. That's pretty good. Well, today I'm not going to do 50. Today I'm not going to do 20. But, but I want to talk about 10 marks of a disciple, 10 marks of a disciple, 10 things that every disciple should have in their resume. You see, the 12 disciples of Jesus became the 120 and then the 3,120. And that's where I want us to really begin is in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Excuse me, I'm going to go back to 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says there, Those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now remember, we're not just talking about the 12 or the 120. Now we're talking about the 3,120, that new church, brand new, becoming disciples. This is what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day. Somebody say every day. Every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It wasn't just on Sunday. It wasn't just on Sunday and Wednesday. It wasn't just occasionally throughout the week or throughout the month or throughout the year when they would have a special evangelistic thrust. No, daily people were being added into the kingdom of God. Is it any wonder that daily people were being added and they were meeting daily as well? There seems to be a correlation there. You see, I believe in our gatherings together. I believe that we need to come together. I believe that if the government tells us we can't gather, then there's an issue. I believe that we need to gather as the body of Christ. Can somebody say amen to that part? We need to gather. But we've gotten so used to gathering for one hour on a Sunday morning that we've become believers instead of disciples. Because disciples, it's an everyday life. Let me just share with you a little bit of my testimony. When when I left Texas to go and minister in Montana and then Florida, I had been raised... Previous to that, as many of you know, in a, in a great church in downtown Fort Worth. Awesome church. Great pastor, incredible teacher. Man, could teach on the end times like nobody's business. 
I, I mean, an incredible teacher of the Word of God. Great, I had great teachers. I had great Sunday school teachers and, and great Royal Ranger leaders and, and all these people that poured into my life. And I appreciate my upbringing and teaching. But when I went away, I saw a little bit more. My, my vision was expanded a little bit to different cultures, to different people groups, to different ages, and, and, and all of this. It's, as many of you know, as you grow older and as you move around, you begin to see things from a little different perspective. I begin to see the Word of God from an Eastern perspective rather than a Western perspective as I begin to travel the nations. And I begin to see some things differently. And when the Lord called us to come back to plant here, my first reaction was no. <laughs> Did you know you can actually talk to God as a friend? And I wasn't emphatic. I wasn't like, no, God. I was just like, well, God, I don't think so. I don't think that's you. I think that's Satan telling me to go back to Texas. So I'm just going to ignore that. And so I fought with that for a little while. But one of the reasons I fought with that, there were several, but one of the reasons I fought with that is because in my mindset, Texas meant my old man. And Texas meant a mindset that I had when I was growing up in church, and that was this mindset. You go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, and that meant you were a good Christian. In other words, Christianity equaled church attendance. And I, and I had grown in my relationship with the Lord and recognized that, that you can worship God on Saturday night, you can worship God on Friday morning. I, I've, I've not yet completely embrace this, but you can worship God on Monday morning. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Once or twice I've experienced that. <laughs> you got to loosen up here. It's all right. <laughs> and so in coming back to Texas, I, and God had to deal with my heart, and I had to get over the, the mindset that Christianity equals church attendance alone. How many of you know church attendance will not make you a Christian? It especially won't make you a disciple. But a disciple will attend church. And not just attend church, but be the church. And live as the church. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's a disciple's life. Someone who is consumed with Jesus. And I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about how that from the very beginnings we see that every disciple of Jesus Christ will have these and build these in their resume. First of all, every disciple of Jesus Christ will be committed to Jesus as Savior and Lord. You may think, oh, that's pretty basic. <laughs> yes, it is. Because how many of you know Discipleship begins at the altar of salvation. The altar of surrender. Your life with God begins with you dying and Him living in you. And so we are committed to Jesus Christ, not only as Savior, but also as Lord, that we are a follower of Christ. Matthew 9, 9 says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth, and he said, follow me, and be my disciple. Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. So what made Matthew go from being a tax collector who was an extortioner who was spit upon and looked down upon by his fellow Jews because of him serving the Roman government? People didn't like tax collectors. 
They were considered the scum of the earth. Why? Because they took your money, and if you had problems, they might even take a little more, right? So what turned Matthew from that type of a person into a follower of Christ? Let me tell you what changed. He followed Christ. You see, it's not just saying, I believe in you. I have a mental ascent towards Jesus as my Savior. He can only be the only way, truth, and life. But it also means I'm going to follow that way. I'm going to submit to that truth. And I'm going to live that life. Amen? So the first thing is be a committed follower of Christ. Second of all, we've got to grow in faith. That we are growing in faith. You see, again, it's not just the beginning line, but it's the continuation. We're growing in faith. We're growing in wisdom and deed. Luke tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. So the Bible declares that Jesus, even as a young man, began to grow in his faith. If you're not growing in your faith, then you're dead in your faith. You see, we've gotten into gardening a little bit lately, and uh, now we've done some flowers and some other things, and I say we very loosely because I just do what I'm told on that kind of stuff. Other people in the house are really doing the garden, and they're doing a great job, and I just get to you know feast on the fruit of it, so that's nice. But, but I have learned a few things about gardening, and one thing I've learned, if a plant is not growing, it's probably dying. If a plant is not growing, it's usually dying. And we must understand that if we're not growing in our faith, then we're probably dying. There is no standing still in the kingdom of God. There is no just, there is no just uh, well, I'm just going to stop right here in my faith, and I'm not going to go any further. No, you're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. The kingdom of God is advancing, the Bible says. And forceful men take hold of it. In other words, we've got we've to move in advance. This is an advancing gospel. And if we're not growing, we might be dying. So as a disciple of Jesus Christ, ask yourself this question. Am I growing in my faith? Am I growing in the word? Am I growing in deed? Am I growing in my life? Do, do I sense a time? Let me say this real quick. Because I just heard a religious spirit pick this up. There are times when, when God goes silent on us. Have you ever been in those times? There are times when God goes silent on us. And sometimes it has to do with things in our own heart and our own life that we need to correct. Other times I find it's his wanting us to thirst for him more. His wanting us to say, are you willing to come a little further? Are you willing to come a little further? So before you freak out and go, oh, my faith is dying. If he's being silent, then go to him and say, God, I thirst for you. I long for you. If you're doing those things, then God will meet you right there. And your faith will begin to grow. Amen? So that's number two, growing in faith. Number three on the resume of a disciple is a disciple prays on purpose and worships in spirit and truth. I put those together because I have long believed for many, many years that prayer and worship and prayer and praise go hand in hand. They were never meant to be two separated things. Yes, we intercede. There's intercession. 
all of that. But praise and worship should be part of our prayer life. It's, it's intricately and intimately connected. And I don't have time to teach on that. So a disciple prays on pur- purpose and worships in spirit and truth. You see, when we pray and when we worship, there is a connection to God. There's, we are connecting spirit to spirit. Jesus said, those who worship me was, must worship me in spirit and in truth. We, I actually taught a little bit about this on Wednesday night in our Word on Fire series. But, but we have to worship in spirit. It's our spirit connecting to the Holy Spirit. And so when we do that, we are praying and we're worshiping and we're connecting spirit to spirit. Acts 4.31 says, after they prayed, meaning the New Testament church, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. So when the New Testament church prayed, things happened. When the New Testament church prayed, things happened. Would you say that with me? When the New Testament church prayed, they did. Things happened. I'm not saying that prayers are always immediately recognized or always immediately answered, but I am saying that when we pray, we've got to believe something's happening. When we pray, we've got to pray in faith. We talked about this Wednesday morning on our prayer call, how that if we don't believe that what we're doing is making a difference, then why are we doing it? Why pray if you don't believe what you pray? (laughs) Jesus said very clearly, believe what you're going to pray. Believe it. Look at your neighbor and say, believe it. Believe it when you lay hands on the sick, they're going to recover. Believe it when you cast out demons that they're coming out. Believe it that when you come to God and his will will be done in your life. Luke 24 says, when they worshiped him and returned to to Jerusalem with great joy, they stayed continually at the temple praising God. This reminds me that this passage is after Jesus' ascension. And we focus a lot on Acts chapter 1 and 2, how they were praying together continually. But the Bible also says in Luke chapter 2 that they were also worshiping continually in the temple. So here's how it really went down. Sometimes we imagine that they went into the upper room, locked the door, and nobody went in and out. But actually they were going into that upper room. And, if, and John Bunn, you can help me out with this. But I know that there are some that say that there's, the upper room was actually attached to the temple. Is that correct? So, so the, if you go to Jerusalem today, the, some will take you to the upper room. And it's debated on whether it's there. But, but I believe that, that whether it was right in the temple or right next to the temple, this upper room was not far from the temple. So they were going between worship and prayer every day, as was their custom. They were going at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and going into the temple to pray. They were continuing their prayer times in the morning. Then they were worshiping. Then they would go back to the upper room and they would do it again. This was their life. This was their lifeblood. And can I tell you, they didn't stop after the Holy Spirit came. It only intensified from there. They began to do it more and more and more. So a disciple is a praying person. A disciple is a worshiping person. I've got to keep moving. Number four. I may have to make this two parts. But number four. On the resume of every disciple should be a lover of people. A lover of people. John 15, 12 says, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. You know what this tells me? Not only 
are we to love each other, the beloved, but I also know we're supposed to love the lost and the least. Let me say that again. We're supposed to love the lost and the least. Who are the least in our minds? Our enemies. <laughs> our enemies are, are the least to us. We don't, we don't want to talk about our enemies. We don't care about our enemies. We get mad if somebody talks about our enemies. And whether that enemy is a political party in your mind, or whether that enemy is somebody who's doing something to you, whether that enemy is your neighbor, Jesus said, love your enemies. Do you know what's going to make the difference in today's culture? It's going to be us loving our enemies. You see, we don't get to choose whether or not we love them. It's as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I love my enemies. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard. Listen, I, I can't say too much, but, but somebody did something to, uh, to us just yesterday, and I got upset. It was in our neighborhood, and I got upset. I was like, I can't believe they did that. I was ready. Uh, when Joni told me about it, I was ready to march over, and I was ready to confront that individual, knowing that that individual in my estimation, and best I can tell, is not a Christ follower. God had to kind of get a hold of my heart and remind me, <laughs> is it worth that? Is it really worth that? And so right there, I had to pray for my enemy. I had to pray for that one who hurt me. They didn't persecute me. They didn't tell me not to preach or not to go to church. It was something dumb. Really, really dumb. And if I told you, you'd think, ah, yeah, that's dumb. I would have gone and confronted him too. But I had to realize, you know what? God has called me to be a lover of people. He's called me to love the lost. He's called me to love the least. And he's called me to love the beloved. Amen? Number five. On our resume, we'll be partners with the church of Jesus Christ. Partners with the church of Jesus Christ. You see, we are called as disciples to, be, to have a heart of a servant, to have biblical unity, and to be community-minded. It says in Hebrews chapter 3, And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partner with those who called, are called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. Look at that. So, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven. There's, there's at least, in modern translations, there are at least two dozen different references to being partners. And most of them have to do with the body of Christ. You see, the body of Christ was never meant to be one person with a microphone or one group that can sing or one group that can come onto a platform and then everybody else listen and go home. That's not the body of Christ. That's only a portion. That's only part of the body of Christ. We are called to partner together. Mm, maybe I need to preach on this a little more. We are called to partner together. How? In prayer. What we did this morning as a simple act uh, of, of Jeremy and praying for Suzanne, that's what we're called to do. We're called to partner together. If one of among us is sick, then what do we need to do? We need to rally together and go help that individual do what we can. Oh, y'all are quiet this morning. I can't hear the people online, so you've got to help me in here. 
Amen? We're called to partner together. At New Day Church, we changed uh, our terminology from membership to partnership because partnership is a true biblical outlook of what we're to do. When apostles come along and they're going out and they're planting churches and they're doing things and, and they're having uh, things going on, then what do we do? We partner with them. When evangelists come, what do we do? We don't just sit there and go, oh, that was a good word and rate them on our favorites of evangelists. No. The evangelist is coming to equip us and we partner with them. It has long been a dream, and I know I'm, I don't want to share too much, but it's long been a dream of this couple right here and of this couple right here to have a true New Testament church of apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, and pastor. Why? Because it's the whole body of Christ. And that's just part of the layers. Did you know the generous givers, that there are those who are gifted with giving? We're going to talk about it in just a moment that, that all of us are supposed to be givers and generous. But how many of you know that in the Scripture there is a spiritual gift of generosity? Wow. So maybe God has blessed you in a certain way and you just, I, I, in fact, let me just say this. It wasn't too long ago, about two years ago, I met someone who had that gift. This person had the gift. And how do I know that they had the gift? Because she would just tell me of different things that would happen to her. And not in boasting, not in anything like that. She would just say, yeah, I'd be traveling and I would go through an airport. And, and I would see somebody and the Holy Spirit would say, go give that person uh, $100. And she'd say, well, God, I, I mean, I don't know anything about them, but you know what? I'll do it. And immediately, without questioning, just do it. And that person would do that not just once, not just twice, but over and over and over and over again. And this couple is one of the most blessed couples I know. And why? Because they're generous givers? Yes. But because the wife has a gift of generosity. She gives of herself at a moment's notice. The rest of us, we got to question God on it. Well, God, I, I don't know. You know what? They don't really look like they need anything. You know, God, they look really, I mean, they've, they've got nicer shoes than I do. So I don't really think that they need it. I mean, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Come on, let's get real. Right? It doesn't mean we're not supposed to be generous, but it means that maybe that gift is not in us. So every part of the body of Christ has something to offer. Come on. And it's time for us to partner together more and more and more and more. Number six on the resume of a disciple of Jesus Christ is to be sensitive to the Spirit. To be sensitive to the Spirit. In other words, we need to be Spirit-led and Spirit-empowered. Galatians 5, since we are living by the Spirit, therefore let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Galatians 5.25. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. 1 Corinthians 12.7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Verse 11, all these are work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Now, I talk about this one a lot, so I'm not going to stick on this. Just know that being Spirit-led is not something for just the five-fold ministry. 
one of the examples I love to use when talking about this, I'm going to use it right now. And that is, is if I come Sunday morning, if I come, if I came to you this morning, which I'm not, so don't worry. But, but uh, if I came this morning, I said, hey, I just want you to know, you know, this COVID thing has been crazy. All this stuff has been going on. You know, we've kind of taken a financial hit, uh, and, you know, in our own personal finances and stuff. And so a church three blocks up has offered us a senior pastor position at twice what you're paying me. So next Sunday is my, my last Sunday. I'm going to be heading over there. God bless you. I hope, I hope you do well. Just remember what I've taught you and see you later. How many of you think I would be a man of God? Mm, that would be a big fat zero, right? In fact, how many of you might be a little upset with that reasoning? Amen? And yet... I have had people over 30 years of ministry come to me and say, hey, Pastor Ricky, we love this church. We love what's going on here. But you know what? Uh, this job over in Cincinnati offered me twice as much as we're making. It must be the will of God. So we'll be, we'll be seeing you. God bless you. If you need some missions money sometime, call us. And I'm supposed to stand there and go, oh, yeah, it must be the will of God because of twice as much money. No, what should we be? We should be what? Spirit-led. Come on, what should we be? We should be spirit-led. We should be led of the Spirit in every part of our lives. And I don't have a problem with you making twice as much money. Hey, praise God. That means we're all blessed, right? More tithe. Come on, hallelujah. <laughs> it's okay if you make twice as much money. But before you switch jobs, you need to be praying to God. God, is this your will for me? Is this really what you want for my life? Don't follow the money. Follow the Spirit. Ooh, somebody needs to write that down right there. Don't follow the money. Follow the Spirit, which leads me into number seven. As a disciple of Jesus, we are generous givers. We are generous givers. It says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I feel like I just covered that. So I'm going to move on. Number eight, walks in purity and holiness. Remember, this is a resume of a disciple, not of an American believer, but of a disciple of Jesus Christ. They walk in purity and wholeness. I, I, I want you to open your Bible, because I want you to, this is going to take a minute, to Romans chapter 6. I want you to see this, because this is not my words, this is the word of God speaking. Romans chapter 6, verse 19, we're kind of dropping in, on the writer, as he's, on, on Paul, as he's writing some things out and talking about some things. So the first sentence, you'll see that. But we're going to jump right into the meat of what he's saying. Romans chapter 6, verse 19. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now... Offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. So what's the example he's using? Slavery. But he's saying, just as you were a slave to wickedness 
and ever increasing. How, did you ever notice, if, were you a sinner long enough to notice how your wickedness would increase? <laughs> Woo! The longer you're a sinner, the more wicked you actually become. Don't tell me that, oh, you know, this, this, this is a sinner over here, but he's just such a good person. No, there's wickedness, and it will increase in your life with wickedness. But he says, but now, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, let righteousness lead you to holiness. You see, we believe in instant sanctification. At the, at the cross, by the blood of Jesus, we are sanctified and able to enter into the Holy of Holies. In other words, we believe that if you are saved and a minute later you drop dead, you're going right into heaven. You're sanctified by the blood of Jesus. Amen? That's why the man on the cross, Jesus could look to the man on the cross and say, today you'll be with me in paradise. Even though he was on that cross because of his own sin, because of his own unrighteousness, because he cried out to Jesus, and a few minutes later, he was in glory with Jesus. The other man, not so much. So we believe in instant sanctification. But we also believe in progressive sanctification that leads to holiness. What does that mean? That means that as we grow, as we walk, as we walk by faith and not by sight, as we grow in our faith and our word and in deed, then holiness becomes more and more prominent in our lives. Have you ever met a senior saint who has been walking with the Lord for 50 years without any, uh, without any, what's the right word I'm looking for? Without any major issues. Scandals is the word I'm looking for. Think of Billy Graham. Think of Reinhard Bonnke. Those men were senior saints. And, and literally, you could, just, you could just know, you walk into a room and, and it's like, wow, somebody's holy in this place. <laughs> somebody's got Jesus all over them. That's that walking in that holiness. You, be, you just get closer and closer to God and you want less and less of sin. He goes on and says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Scripture makes no problem with seeing that our righteousness is in Him, but as our righteousness is in Him, His righteousness works out in us. Can we just stop here for a sec? Just close your eyes. Holy Spirit, I just want to make this declaration right now that we want less and less of the world in us. And we want more and more of you in us. God, you promised that the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdoms of our Christ. So why do we want to follow the kingdoms of the world? God, we want to follow you. God, would you increase our desire for holiness? God, forgive me and forgive others for not talking about it as much in these times and these days. Lord, but we want to be holy even as our heavenly Father is holy. God, we desire you more than anything else. Increase in us. Increase in us faith. Increase in us righteousness.
leading to holiness. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to I give you the last two because I just can't do a whole sermon on just two. All right? So number nine. As a resume of a disciple is we should be a walking witness. We should be a walking witness. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. How did they become witnesses in those days? They didn't have online. They didn't have live stream. They didn't have cars. They didn't have phones. They didn't even have fax machines. I know some of the teenagers in the room think that they did. They're that old, yes. But no, they didn't even have fax machines. How did they become a witness to all of those places? They walked. They walked. They walked. And they walked. And occasionally the Holy Spirit would pick them up and translate them. That was cool. But it didn't happen all the time. Philip got it. But not all of them got it. But they walked and they went to the places. How are we going to be witnesses? We're going to have to walk. We're going to have to go. We're going to have to go. Some of us are called to go far. Some of us are called to go near. Some of us are called to go in between. But all of us are called to go. Every single one of us. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, Matthew 28 says, Then Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, baptizing them. That's what we do. We're called to be a walking witness. And lastly, on our resume of a disciple is that we live on purpose. We live on purpose. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to what? His purpose. Acts 13.36 says about David, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. I want to be like David in that. I want to be like David that, that when I have served completely God's purpose, that's when it's my time to go. I believe that if you're breathing, you still have purpose. If you're still here, there's still a reason you're here. If you're still breathing, you got a purpose from God. And it's time to live on that purpose. I'm going to ask Brother John and Brother Jeremy if you could come. We sanctify your hands. We sanctify you right now in Jesus' name as you pass out these papers. Can you hand those out? I want to end this message with a little thing. I don't even honestly know where I got it from. I don't know when it first came. I just know that as a youth pastor almost 20 years ago, this became our rallying cry for many of our young people. And it's come up every once in a while throughout the years in our ministry. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of it again today. And so I wanted you to have it. And it's a poem entitled, I Am a Disciple. And I would like to read it to you. And I'd like for you to put it in your Bible. I'd like you to hold on to it. It says, 
I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The love of God controls me. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, or back away. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth paths, colorless dreams, mundane talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed roles. I no longer need prosperity, position, promotion, preeminence, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean in His presence, walk in patience, live by prayer, and labor with power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is the kingdom of God. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few, but my guide reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversaries, negotiate at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and spoken up for the cause of Christ. I must go on until He comes, give until I drop, teach until I'll know, run until He stops me. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say hallelujah? Hallelujah! God, we give it all to You. We are yours and you are ours, God. And we commit to you afresh and anew today to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. This morning we will go. We will go. We will be led of your spirit. We will do what you call us to do. We will say what you want us to say. We will go where you want us to go. We will be who you have asked us to be. God, we are your disciples. Give us the strength to follow through on our commitments. David said, I will fulfill my vows. God, we say to you, we are committed to you. You are committed to us. God, by your spirit, by your power, by your grace, we will be disciples of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. John, could you come to the piano for a moment?